Welcome to this Business of Music and Poetry podcast, where the life of the creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amade, host of World Poetry Open Mic and The Michael Amade Show, publisher of World Poetry Magazine, musician, poet, and author of more books than I should mention. My collaborator and co-conspirator in this project is none other than Clifford Brooks. Cliff is the author of Athena Departs and The Draw of Broken Eyes and Whirling Metaphysics. He's the founder of the Southern Collective Experience and is a creative force behind the Blue Mountain Review. Our guest today is Ashley M. Jones. Ashley M. Jones is Poet Laureate of the state of Alabama. Her upcoming term is between 2022 and 2026. She received an MFA in poetry from Florida International University, where she was a John S. and James L. Knight Foundation Fellow. She served as official poet for the City of Sunrise, Florida's Little Free Libraries Initiative from 2013 to 2015, and her work was recognized in the 2014 Poets and Writers Maureen Egan Writers Exchange Contest and the 2015 Academy of American Poets Contest. Her debut poetry collection, Magic City Gospel, was published by Hub City Press in January 2017, and it won the Silver Medal in Poetry in the 2017 Independent Publishers Book Awards. Her second book, Dark Thing, won the 2018 Lena Miles Weaver Todd Prize for Poetry from Pleiades Press. Her poems and essays appear or are forthcoming in many journals and anthologies, including CNN, The Academy of American Poets, Poetry, and more. She currently lives in Birmingham, Alabama, where she's the founding director of the Magic City Poetry Festival, board member of the Alabama Writers Cooperative and the Alabama Writers Forum, co-director of Penn Birmingham, and a faculty member in the creative department of the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Jones is also a member of the core faculty at the Converse College Low Residency MFA program, and she recently served as a guest editor for Poetry Magazine. Her third collection, Reparations Now, is forthcoming in fall of 2021 from Hub City Press. Without any further ado, here is our interview with Ashley M. Jones. Hey, y'all. Tonight on This Business of Music and Poetry, we have Alabama's new poet laureate, Ashley M. Jones. Ashley, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I love to hear you say laureate with that, <laughs> that accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for you. I was practicing all week, getting ready for this moment. Now I'm going to go back to my New Jersey accent. Which I, <laughs> how are you doing? I mean, uh, tell us about yourself. What's your story, Morning Glory? Uh, that's a huge question to ask someone at the beginning of a podcast. Um, I am Ashley. I am black. I am from Alabama. I'm a fireman's daughter, um, very proudly. And, um, I, I write poetry. That's, that's all you got to know about me really. <laughs> <laughs> How has having a fire, firefighter father influenced your poetry? Well, I mean, first I have to say, um, my dad passed away in April of this year. And so, of course, he knew to come into this podcast recording. He's always showing up when I least expect him. Um, but it influenced me just by seeing him, um, you know, be so dedicated to service. That was huge for me as a kid. I mean, as a really young kid, you hear your dad's a firefighter and it's like, oh, cool, you get to ride the truck. But then you start realizing, oh, wait, like, this is a serious job that he's doing. And he might not come back from it one day. Um, and once I started to realize that and just really recognize the sacrifices that he made, not only for us, like I saw him sacrificing as a dad, but to see him also sacrifice 
his life to help others was really huge. So I knew from an early age, we're here to help people. Um, we're here to do what we can as much as we can. Um, and so I've brought that into my writing life. I'm never going to be a firefighter. I knew that from an early age as well. That's not my ministry at all. <laughs> um, but with my writing, I really want to um, invite people in and let them know that there's space for them. You know, they can escape the fires of their life or the fires of academia or whatever and find a home in my poetry and maybe find a way to make their own home with their own poetry as well. That's the best answer ever. Oh. <laughs> ever, ever. I mean, so let me ride this thunder a little bit farther. Um, when you talk, when you bring up sacrifice, what you saw your father do for you as a family and in his profession, um, how has sacrifice factored into the time and effort and loss and, and gain uh, in creating this career that's put you in the position of poet laureate and with a new book? How has how has sacrifice uh, factored into that process? Well. Um... Some would say I've sacrificed a lot of fun. Um, I'm 31 years old. I just turned 31 this month. And, you know, here I am, poet laureate of my state, which is maybe early. You know, I'm the youngest in my state's history. Um, and I've just been a hard worker forever. You know, I sometimes joke that I was born 75 years old because I've just always been really focused um, on working hard, doing what I'm supposed to do, following the rules and, you know, trying to achieve my goals. And I think the older I get, the, the more I realize that it's hard for me to relax. Like mm -hmm. I will work myself into actual danger. I've been to the ER because of overworking myself and that's a huge sacrifice. And now that my dad's passed away, I've really been trying to like, you know, whoa, I can't, I learned a lot from dad and dad was yeah. also a workaholic, but I need to unlearn that part so that I can maybe stay around to write more and do more. Now, in the time that you've sacrificed to write, mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated with writing habits and rituals. Um, how do you get into your headspace to write? Do you have to be somewhere? The things you need present is there music. How do you set the ambiance to sit down and make something happen? Well, my process is maybe not what it's supposed to be, like according to the books. Um, I don't write every day, which I know is like, Okay, good. I see you. I see you gesturing. I don't. I don't. I don't. You're in, you're in good company. Go ahead. <laughs> good. Um, so, yeah, so I don't do that. I mean, and I tell my students, too, like, you know, yeah, I'm going to ask you to write at a certain, you know, interval to turn things in, but I'm never going to force you to write every single day because that doesn't work for me. And certainly some of them, you know, might not have that process either. Some people do, which is great. Um, but for my process, I just need to be alive, basically, right. to get right. inspired. Um, and I say get inspired and I sort of mean to hear what's being sent to me. For me, poetry is something that is given. It's a gift. It's not necessarily the thing that you learn about in school. I mean, that learning helps you to do the thing, but the thing is already there, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, I just love your reaction. You're just a <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Um, so once I receive the message, Usually to write, I just need to get somewhere and get it on the page. Um, it's I'm, it's inconvenient if I get it while I'm driving, you know, like it's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if I can, I make my way to a piece of paper or a computer or the phone and I try to write it down. Um, and I usually like to have music playing while I'm writing. So that kind of helps oil the gears a little yes. bit. Yes, yes, ma'am. Um, <clears throat> now, 
We're going to scoop back and talk about your book at a couple of spots in the show, but to bring it up first, um, tell us about the book and uh, tell us what went into it. So the book is called Reparations Now, um, which is a super non-political, you know, very subtle title. That's my special. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were being serious for a second, too. Yeah. I'm like, what? Okay, That's, proceed. No, no. proceed. Dry humor. I have. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Dry humor, uh, which God people don't you. expect, honestly. People think it I'm is. It's refreshing. Yeah. It's absolutely refreshing. Okay, I, I digress. No, you're fine. So Reparations <laughs> Now is... Um, a book which explores reparations of all kinds. So that maybe the obvious kind, what is owed to black people specifically. I mean, there's there's a long list of people who are owed something by this country. We'll start there. But since I'm black, I'm talking about the, the things that are owed to my people. Mm -hmm. um, so there's poems about history um, and um, even the present day. And there's also the personal reparations side that I explore. Um, and what I mean by that is there are relationships that we have in life or experiences that we have that steal something or take something from us. And so some of these poems, I'm exploring how I gave myself something back. So for mm -hmm. example, if there was a man, I hate to bring it to men, but if there was a man, I mean, it's in the book, you know, that did something like, I don't know, cheat on me. Right. I had to find my way. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Cliff. He is no, no, no. You don't. I'm being absolutely professional and serious. Please. So a man has done you wrong, Taylor Swift. What's going to happen? Uh, please do not put Taylor Swift on my name. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Retracted. Retracted. No, please no. Go I ahead. mean, no shade to Taylor, but also no. shade to Taylor. Yes. Um, anyway. <laughs> So if that happened, if a man, you know, did a thing, I, in these poems, was trying to find a way to, like, reclaim um, my heart in many ways or my respect for myself. Because when you go through something or when somebody does something to you, unfortunately, there's a healthy amount of uh, blaming yourself or thinking, oh, what did you do to make this happen? And so just like our country, I had to, well, we need to do this. We're not doing it. But I had to kind of search myself and find the good that was still in me and understand, you know, okay, this thing has happened. I can confront it. And in the future, I can do something different. Um, so yeah, so that's what you'll find in the book. And I think you asked me something else. What went into it? Yes. So or what went into writing it, I guess. Um, yes. I mean, with all my books, I don't necessarily set out with the title in mind and like knowing that I have to write this poem and that poem and the next poem. It's more so as a writer, we're always obsessed with something. And so I just lead, I let the obsessions lead me and right. they usually take me to the place I need to go. Right. So. I love this interview. I love this interview. Okay, so now we, we, are we gonna fight, are we? No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> really, you are really yeah, I know. No. So, I ain't done. I'm, I'm a, so, it's for the sound so that okay. the, the microphone doesn't I feel up. safe now we're cool we're cool Lord. um when, when you you said before and this is this is something I'm I'm obsessed with is the balance the idea that you can go to school and you can mm -hmm. get a degree in writing mm -hmm. and you can be the best technical writer on the planet but you cannot teach that thing you must be born with right that, that I call it the divine blue flame that's in here mm. that you have to have that in you from birth and it's an uncomfortable truth and it's an easier one of course for those who have it you know so i'm not trying to high step here um but what is your what's your your formula from that that divine given source and then a balance of actual technical learning because it is essential and mm -hmm. people think it's one or the other and i think it's both what do you think yeah i do think it's both um 
and how do I balance it? I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's always seemed sort of natural to balance it. The, the part that was difficult was trying to move through school where they kind of teach you to like unbalance it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Like it was definitely hard to stay true to what I knew I needed to do because you're just so used to following rules and, oh, the teacher said we do this, so this is what I'll do. Um, and it was really um, my own sort of self-study of Black poets that led me to understand that the balance was the right thing and yeah. that anything else was a colonial you know, trap to run Agreed. far away from that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of technical training. I've been studying writing since I was 12. Um, I went to a fine arts high school, which I actually teach at now, interestingly. So, yeah, I've been studying for a super long time. So the technical stuff is all good. It's cool. It's whatever. Really recognizing to, like that I needed to value my blue flame, as you called it, which is funny. Yeah. There's a poem in my book where I call that thing a blue flame as well. Um, yeah, we're on a similar way. That's what I was hoping. <laughs> I can see it. All right, go, 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 go. go. Um, so, so yeah, the challenge was just to value that part and understand right. that they can coexist, um, which I think our society has trouble with things coexisting, like science and religion. People don't understand how that mixes. But to right. me, it's a no-brainer, you know? Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah. I mean... Maybe we should all be president or something. <laughs> Us for president. Us for president. Us for president. <laughs> so I, you know, I, it's something that you were talking about being able to honor that part of yourself and, and that seeing other people that you could see something of yourself in basically mm -hmm. helped you honor that. So many people struggle with this thing. I mean, I was talking today to a, a, a almost 70 year old musician mm -hmm. who still didn't feel like they'd found representation or, you know, they didn't feel like they yeah. can value their own thing. So I'm sure you must run into this in your position now as a teacher and especially as a, as a poet laureate, what advice might you impart to somebody who's feeling that way? Um, but they're, but they're, they're honestly seeking the answer. They're not just using it as a, as a reason. What might you yeah. direct them to do? Well, I mean, first of all, I would say I understand completely how that feels. Um, you know, to to not see yourself represented in many ways um, that happened to me. It happens to a lot of uh, people, period, but certainly people of color in America. I mean, when you go to English class, you really are not seeing your people, um, or at least not a lot of them. You're going to get right. Langston Hughes, peace be upon him, you know, <laughs> but you're not even going to get all of him, you know. Um, Cliff, you got to calm down there. Oh, right. <laughs> Quit being funny and I'll stop laughing. That's I'm not a fair. funny person. I can't I know, personality. Fine, all right. Stoic. <laughs> no, Stoic. Look, look, go. You're good. I just won't look at you because I'm going to start laughing when I look at you. Um, right. Kind of give me a good answer. Kind of give a serious and okay. yeah. impactful answer. Um, no, but I would tell those people um, to really look for one person try to find somebody. For me, it was um, Rita Dove, actually. Oh. Um, I mean, when I first first started doing poetry or recognized that I had the blue flame, it was with Eloise Greenfield when I was seven years old, which is a story I can tell if you want, but I'm going to move on so I can finish the answer. Um, so it was Rita Dove in high school. Um, I had to write a thesis because, as I said, I went to a fine arts high school. And um, somehow, I don't even know how I got this book, but it was her like selected works. And I carried that book around everywhere, read it over and over, wrote all these notes in it. It was like a Bible, you know, to me. And because I had this book, 
I felt like, okay, I can write something about Black people too. She's doing it. There's a book of it here. Like, it's real. It's not just my imagination. You know, it's not just a dream deferred. It is a whole bunch of poems, you know, that I can look at. And she's a woman. And, you know, and that that sort of self-study practice grew for me in college. Um, I would spend hours in the library just looking for any Black poet, any book by a Black poet. Um, and that's how I discovered Lucille Clifton, who's my patron saint, patron saint of poetry. Um, so I would tell that person, as hard as it is to find someone, do your very best, research everywhere you possibly can to find at least one person who you feel is tapped into the same, you know, channel as you. And that person probably will lead you to other people, you know. Because I knew Rita Dove, I was able to go to other anthologies that had other Black poets that she was in. You know, I knew her, mm -hmm. so I followed her in there <laughs> and went through that door. And you can sort of do that over and over again until you know a lot of a lot of people. Um, or if that's not the path they want to go, this hypothetical person, maybe that moment is a moment to realize that you are that person who has to represent so that others can feel represented, um, which is something that I've thought about a lot. I mean, I know now, you know, it's literally true. I am the first, you know, which is yeah. such a, a thing, you know, to be the first. It's not necessarily, um, I mean, I'm honored, but also I recognize that I should not have been the first because it's 2021. Right. You know? Um, and, you know, this has been a thing. The Poet Laureate of Alabama has been a thing since 1930. So, I mean, I'm not going to do the math there because I'm a poet, not a mathematician, but that's a lot of years. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I would tell that person to maybe consider both of those things because they both might be true. If you're not finding someone, that might mean that something's telling you that it's you who has to do it. Well, and that's huge, too, thinking that, uh, you know, being able to own that sometimes yourself and being able to say, I am going to be this person because there's probably many other people like them out there also looking around going, where is the person like me? That's a really powerful answer. Mm. Thank you. So uh, now I, I'm, I'm blanking again on the, the poet you mentioned that you discovered when you were seven. I did want to go back to the story. Oh, yeah. Yes. Eloise Greenfield. She recently yes. passed away. Peace be upon her as well. Um, she was an incredible writer um, and she lived to like a super old age. I think she was like 98 or something like that. Um, but she wrote children's books primarily. And the book that I read was called Honey, I Love. It's a book of poetry for children, but I think anybody could read it and, you know, get something out of it. Um, and I was seven. Like I said, I was always in the library because I'm a nerd, you know, so I was always just reading books. <laughs> And um, shout out to the librarian at Epic Elementary School, Mrs. Claudette Bearden, who is still alive and uh, Facebook friends with me, which is great. Um, she had a fantastic library. But anyway, I read this book and it just so happened that there was an assignment in my class that we had to memorize something and then recite it in like costume. I was in self-contained gifted, which maybe explains why it's such a like unorthodox <laughs> assignment. Um, and so I had been reading this book, like I said, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to recite this poem, Harriet Tubman. It's cool, you know. And so I remember, you know, memorizing it. And um, at the time, I had enlarged adenoids and tonsils. So I was real flimmy mm, as yeah. a child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The face you just made. <laughs> it was not, not fun. I used to like daydream about being able to breathe through my nose like all the other kids. And anyway, that's also another story. There's too many stories here. Um, so anyway, so I memorized the piece and my mom dressed me up as Harriet Tubman. 
which really just meant I was wearing white clothes. I'm not really <laughs> sure how we equated, you know, Harry Tubman to wearing white, but that's what it was. And right. I got up in front of my class, flimmy as I was, and recited this poem. And it begins, Harriet Tubman didn't take no stuff, wasn't scared of nothing neither, didn't come in this world to be no slave and wasn't going to stay one either. And it goes on. Um, and I remember reciting it and just feeling this incredible power that I had never felt before. Um, because for one, I'm like a proper speaking person. I don't really speak like, you know, the Southern people that I know and love. Um, and I always had admired how they could make English just sound so, you know, swinging, you know, and I'm just all hard R's and, you know, all that. Um, so doing this poem, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I kind of feel like, you know, I feel like I sound like my grandma or my mom or my dad. Like mm -hmm. this is a power I've never tapped into. Um, right. so I decided to keep writing just based on that book and that experience. So I turned what was my spy journal, I was into Harriet the Spy also, into a poetry journal. Um, so mm. there's like in that notebook, which I think I still have, there's all these little creepy entries about I'm spying on my parents, making dinner, not doing anything else. <laughs> 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 I am blessed to have never seen anything yeah. else. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> 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 yeah, i mean i know i'm i know i'm 31 but i would not have survived so they'll no. <laughs> no 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 take it to the grave take it to the grave um you you mentioned earlier uh that you uh and i'm a big fan of this too listening to music while you write what does music do for you well it sets the mood which is so cliche to say um but it's true it does set a mood um, and it, sometimes it'll help me, like if I need to write something sad, for example. Um, so there's some poems in this book. I'm thinking specifically about the poem um, that's about Mary Turner, who I don't know if you know Mary Turner, but she was um, lynched um, in a very horrific way. Um, her husband, hold on, let me open my book and read the history because okay. I'm about Please to do. botch her thing. Yeah, so, she, okay, so she was going to press charges for the wrongful lynching of her husband um, in 1918. And this was in Brooks County, Georgia. So there you go, Cliff, Georgia person. Um, and in response to her desire to press charges, which is her right as an American citizen, of course, um, a lynch mob came and got her, strung her upside down, burned off her clothes, cut her unborn baby out of her stomach, stomped the baby and shot her to death. So when I had to write this poem, which I received for whatever reason, it was really around the time that Stefan Clark was uh, killed as well in um, Sacramento, California. Their murders actually are almost 100 years apart exactly to the day. Um, so anyway, I had to get into a particular mind space to write these poems because they are horrific. Um, and so I might turn on, you know, some blues or really more accurately, I would turn on some old timey gospel that always like it's weird gospel is something that i love but it can either make me feel just incredible or super sad mm -hmm. there's not really a middle ground there you know for that mm -hmm. so sometimes i'll just turn on you know mahalia jackson or um any just any wailing woman black woman someone who has the wail of you know jesus mm -hmm. that's what gets me there so music um can sort of help me to get to the space that i need to go but it also helps me focus um I haven't been diagnosed with any sort of thing, focus thing, but I'm pretty sure 
maybe I have something because it's sometimes hard for me to really zero in. Yeah. And so if I have something going in my ears, it just helps me to get there a little faster. That's cool. That's cool. Now, how often when you say that <clears throat> when you, you got to live to write your books, Mm -hmm. um there there are folks there's a there's a philosophy out there that i don't i do not cleave to that's like you know, every year you gotta have a book out um i feel like that i need a couple of years to live and experience because in 12 months time I, i'm afraid i'll write the same book again you know it's such a small oh. span of experience um in in between your books i mean is there is there more time i mean how do, how do you approach the next book after one is already once you publish one um that's interesting i i don't have many years in between all of my books um <clears throat> So now I'm thinking, have I written the same book three times? I don't know. <laughs> you would know. Somebody would tell you. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone would have <laughs> right, said something. Right. <laughs> People um, yeah, I mean, it's usually like three years in between for the writing of them. Um, and I guess I'm always working on the next book when the other book comes out because, you know, there's like that year delay. Yeah. So it seems like I'm writing much faster than I actually am. But <laughs> right. it's usually there's often a year or more that I've written nothing. And then the next two years is just like, oh, writing, writing, writing. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I just, like I said earlier, I don't really like to do too much pre-thinking about the book. Right. I just know that I'm writing poems and I'll just keep on writing them until I get that feeling where it's like, I got a lot of poems. Maybe I should see what's up with these poems. Are they a yeah. book? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, the most pre-thinking I've done is now that I'm trying to write prose, like that has taken a lot of like, oh, what am I actually doing? <laughs> right, know? right. Because it's not as natural to me as poetry. There's a school of thought out there that I used to dismiss that said that if you want to be a better prose writer, it does pay to take poetry classes. <laughs> yes. And I would hear this and I'm like, no, there's no way. But then again, for me, I mean, and that show's not about me, it's about you, but um i found that once i really studied poetry then went back to prose i i, I was a much more deliberate writer i was much mm -hmm. more aware of the words i used how do you feel about that well um i will say for my students because i'm only dipping my toe into prose let's make that clear the toe is just starting to dip um they have often said those who come into the program um saying oh i don't write poetry I don't like poetry. Once they take a class, they're like, okay, so actually I feel like this is helpful because now I have more tools to make my language more interesting. Now I have more focus to really make the things I say, say something, you know? Yeah, I do. Um, and, yeah, and so, and for me with writing prose and I'm not writing fiction, let me just say that right now, everybody's always like, when's your novel coming out? Never, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Get in line, you'll have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm writing nonfiction, which I think is a cousin, you know, to poetry. Yeah. But poetry has helped me to be able to, um, you know, see the prose space in a more exciting way. You know, like if mm -hmm. you were to go on the essays that you read growing up in English class as what nonfiction was, I don't know that anybody would write that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I do. It's just do. not, you know, it's not alive, you know. Right. Um, and so with with my background as a poet, I really feel like the language is just, I don't know, better, you know, in the prose, because it's its really just a huge poem. That's my secret. All the essays yeah. that I've written so far, they're actually just huge poems. So. Well, tell us about these essays. I don't have to follow this breadcrumb trail. What's up with that? <laughs> so um, the essays that I've had published so far are from what I hope is going to be my memoir. And I hate saying memoir because I feel like I'm not old enough to like have one. What have I right. done, you know, to write a memoir? Um, 
But that's not true. I tell my students, all of us have a story to tell and everybody's story is important and you don't know who needs to hear your story at any point in time. So I'm gonna tell myself that. Um, But yeah, I've had a few essays published so far. Um, One is from what I hope will become a critical collection, um, actually an essay, uh, poetry criticism um, collection, which I never thought I would write also. That's why I don't have a PhD in English. So I was like, not doing that. And yet here I am. Uh, But that essay is about Lucille Clifton. Uh Um, and it's in Mentor and Muse, um, and it's kind of like a hybrid critical essay and personal essay, which is kind of my style. I don't really don't like to do just one thing. I like it. Right, right. Feel you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's one, and I did one also, um, in Scalawag Magazine. Ah, I love them, dude. They're good people. They are, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that one, actually, I wrote, um, last, I guess last April, May, my cousin passed away from COVID-19 and soon after George Floyd was murdered. And so it, the essay explores, um, it's called when God, when God calls my name and it's about all the ways that we are named or misnamed. Um, and it also talks about, you know, it's, it's addressed to my cousin, um, and trying to sort of reconnect with him from the beyond. And also it talks about, of course, George Floyd, who is also in that beyond space. Maybe he and my cousin know each other now. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's what's out there so far. Um, and yeah, hopefully it becomes a book. What? When you look at the course of your life thus far mm-hmm. and you see where you arrived, um, how does being an educator fit within that? Well, I think that I would not be where I am if I weren't an educator, honestly. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm a secondary educator, I should say that. I mean, I do teach at an MFA now, like I guess I'm legit now or whatever, but I was legit already <laughs> Yeah. You know, teaching yeah, at a high right. school. Um, so yeah, it, it, teaching is one of the joys of my life, which again, also sounds cliche, but it's true. There've been so many days that I've um, come to school feeling like garbage. And then once I start teaching and hear what the students are thinking and they ask me all these questions and they have all these cool ideas and they write, and they're like, oh my gosh, I can write this. Oh, I'm learning a new form. I didn't know I could do this. Like, it just brightens everything up. It it, yeah. it shows um, hope and possibility and all that. Um, and it also keeps my mind sharp. I know I'm just 31. I understand that I'm young. Everybody keeps saying, you're just 31. But inside of my mind and body, like it's been a long <laughs> haul, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, teaching just keeps me keeps me very sharp and keeps me curious, um, keeps me fed, literally. Right, okay? yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Money doesn't hurt because I've it never been able not. to pay bills with whimsy. Not one of them, <laughs> not one. Maybe you have it, but no. oh, gosh. I've got yeah. some metaphors. I'll make that right, you know. Wow, um, if only. If right, only. right. It's, uh, it, it's I, you know, when when you go into tea, it's, it's for me when I always think that if, if I ever got to be a full-time writer, I would end up like Johnny Depp and uh, Secret Window, the, the Stephen King story, uh-huh. and just go absolutely insane. You know, for me, when you, again, it's like when you just gave the perfect examples and you go into the classroom and you maybe have something on your mind and the world feels heavy. When you get off of that train and you focus on other people, it's impossible not to feel better. Right. And, and I think that's what makes a great teacher is that if you don't, because I mean, you, you go to school and you can count on one hand, the really, really good ones that made something of you, the really, really bad ones on one other hand, and mostly without any judgment is a sea of people that weren't good or bad. They just paid up, showed up for a paycheck. 
Hmm. You know, and the, the, I mean, if you can't feed off the classroom, I can absolutely see how it would cannibalize you over yeah. time. You know, but you say that it, it keeps you hopeful. It keeps you. It reminds you every day that it's going to be all right. You know. Yes, it's and it's not for everybody. No. I can't say that enough. If you're not into teaching, find another job, please. Like, it, it's hard, even for those who love it. Mm-hmm. It is a hard job to do. So if you don't feel inspired, if you don't feel any joy run far away please well and and all all three of us here have been uh educators and and uh so i think the uh, the the thing that's really interesting about it is you know people students deserve our best and they deserve the best we can bring um but you're right it really takes something it takes a, a calling because i don't care what anybody says no one's too good for this job no yeah. one's too good for that job and uh yeah. And then more of the times it's a question of, do you have what it takes for this job? Um, yeah. But, but I, but Cliff, I can completely concur with you as well. Like just saying the scariest thing for me is not having, not the blank page. It's the open calendar that, mm. that actually scares me more. Um, but when I have to be focused outside of myself and aiming at other people, that's a, that's very important as well. And also, and just, just to bring up uh, something else here, uh, Ashley, is that, you talked about keeping fed, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're able to make an income, make a living, staying in your core focus all of the time, mm-hmm. and that has a, a powerful effect on, uh, at least my my experience, the art itself. So I mean, so how do you how do you feel that your perception of your work has has changed, specifically being a secondary educator? How is that? Um, how has that changed the way you look at your own work? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think there's two things, I guess, there's two paths. I'm trying to decide where to go on this answer. So maybe I'll just start by saying it has made me actually consider my work and what it's doing um, and also to value it as real. So when I step in front of the students, one of the reasons that I came back to the school um, not only to be able to feed myself, of course, <laughs> but I came back um, to be visible as a working writer, as a Black writer, um, to these students who were like me when I was 12, going to that school, um, looking to see like, okay, who's made it? You know, can I make it for being from Birmingham? You know, so for me now, um, being a teacher and being around these students all the time, when I think about my own work, I sort of recognize how important it is for me to keep doing it, you know, and to keep valuing it as, as real. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to share my successes more with my students. They always get mad at me because I don't want it to be about me, you know, like, I don't want it to be about me. If you find out about what I'm doing, good for you, you know, <laughs> like, I don't yes. want to walk in and be like, hey, here's all my stuff, you know, but they do find out because um, yeah. Google is the devil and... <laughs> <laughs> everything is on there um right so yeah so in that way in one way it it teaches me to really value what i'm doing and to be glad that i'm able to do it and then from like a craft standpoint being a teacher really inspires me to continue inventing and to continue exploring and um it teaches me that nothing is off limits the stuff my students come up with like last year a student came up with like a crossword puzzle poem form and I was like, that's really genius. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. how can I do something, you know, take that to another level or steal your idea? I always tell them, I'm going to steal your stuff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and nothing you can do about it. Um, 
but yeah, that's, that's, I think what it does for me, those two different things. I want to hear a poem from your book. Okay. From, can we have one of those? You can. You can. Um, gosh, what should I read? I was supposed to be thinking about what I would read um, before I came here, but the way my life is set up right now, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, and when, when I do that, when I get up to read, I'll change my mind at the last second every time. Doesn't matter what I picked before. I can't do that. My mentor, Denise Duhamel, said, once you make your plan, you got to stick to it okay when you read um because there's a reason that that you chose that uh okay i don't know let's read this this is good um this is called it is entirely possible for a black girl to be loved see me black as i am and call me beautiful no revolution necessary no brave needed just loving me. It is not unusual to love me, Black as I am. It is not because I'm so strong, so exotic, so walk on the wild side, wet side. See my skin. It's not chocolate or coffee or caramel. It is inedible. It is nothing to see with colonizers' eyes. Nothing to trap with pity or praise. Nothing to bruise, to make purple with your power. My skin is soft like anything soft. It is a reflection of God. It is a heavenly mirror. Don't you see that? You're there too. Black as I am, I can shine anything back. Even the sun wants to cling to me. You've mentioned a couple of times. Number one, that's, ama that's amazing. That's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Fantastic. That's amazing. Let me say amazing 47 more times. <laughs> and let, me, let, me hit that, let me hick up that right out. But it, 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 you, you bring the spirit in the show. And I don't, there's, you know, we can cut this out. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable at all. But having mentioned uh, ministry and mentioned the church, mentioned mm -hmm. the spirit, uh, feeling it in that poem, um, how does the spirit move through you in life and through, the creative, and through your creative endeavors? Well, I'm glad that I can talk about the spirit because there was a time when, you know, academia had me to believe that that was not something I should discuss in my poetry or otherwise. Um, and that's another colonial trap. We got to watch out for those, no matter who we are. Um, if we are white or black or any other race, it's out for all of us. Um, but the spirit, um, I think in my general life, the spirit is something that helps me to do the right thing all the time. And maybe I first learned that from my parents because they always showed us how to live a life that was correct. <laughs> you know, they never did anything bad. They helped people, they paid their taxes, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, for me, just kind of seeing the results of listening to that spirit or listening to whatever voice or whatever signs that are pointing me into the right direction, seeing that that has always helped me to arrive at a good place. Like it's never steered me wrong mm -hmm. in any, any regard. Like there's never been a time where I've done the right thing and oh, now it turned bad. It always eventually ends up good. Um, so seeing that, you know, kind of helps me to stay on the path. And, and in, in order to hear the spirit, that means I have to be very quiet. 
So that means my ego can't be on level 100. You know, I can't be the one always talking. I can't be somebody who thinks, well, I know everything. And I'm a Leo with the Taurus rising. So, you know, I already think I know everything. You know? <laughs> so I have to really, you know, bring that down. Um, and so in my poetry, it's the same. You know, I once I realized that whatever I had in me was enough, you know, to be a poet, I just listen, you know, for what it is that is being communicated to me, whether I see something on TV or I experience something in the world or I read something, if it strikes me in that special way, and I, I don't know that it's the same for everybody, but there's just a, a way that something hits you and you're like, oh, what is that? I listen to that and I follow it. I don't question it. That's one reason why I don't, um, I don't spend like years editing one poem. I can't do that because at that point I've ruined the gift. <laughs> you know, it was given to me. There's only so much fixing I can do to a gift. So, um, so yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Yes, yes it does, yes it does. Now, the kind of the, the rounded out, uh, when you talk about being still, and I'm fascinated by this, mm -hmm. um, the closer you get to where you're supposed to be, uh, do you find that you find more quiet, more calm? Hmm, I don't know, that's a good question. I mean, I think, um, I think I recognize the need for more quiet the further I get in my career um, because there's just a lot of noise going on. Um, but I think also as I move forward in life, as I get older and experience more things, that voice or that spirit is getting louder and louder. So even though everything else is getting loud, it's always louder. You know, I just have to recognize it maybe gets harder to hear which one is which because they're both loud, but you know, again, staying true to the path, I can kind of yeah. decipher what it is. Um, but I do hope I get some stillness and quietness. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because I mean, this past few days even has just been a constant. Like, I mean, you came in my inbox, you know, it's all y'all been in there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm honored to be there. I'm just, I'm just happy to be numbered amongst them. Um, from a place of quiet for uh, for those who want to write and find their identity and live true to themselves. What's a thought that you'd like them to walk away with from tonight? A thought to leave with people to help them reach the quiet. Mm -hmm. Lord, I'm not the spirit, Cliff. You are giving me a task <laughs> that is difficult. Um, well, I think maybe it can be as simple as you are enough. Uh, my good friend, Monica Sook, who is also a poet, who has a fantastic book out called um, A Nail the Evening Hangs On. Fantastic. She always says this to me, um, and it really does help to just start from there. I am enough. If I am enough, then whatever is in me is also enough. Whatever I believe in is also enough. It just kind of trickles down. Whatever I write, that's enough. I tell all my students all the time, yes, we're doing critique, but know that these poems that you wrote are already whole. They're already finished, they're already complete. You said it, it is fine, it is perfect. You know, what we're doing is refining for other reasons, but your original thought is enough. Both Cliff and I want to say thank you for spending your time with us. We want to thank Ashley M. Jones for a meaningful and really fun interview. You can find Ashley at ashleymjonespoetry.com. 
You can find Cliff Brooks at cliffbrooks.com or at southerncollectiveexperience.com. You can find myself at michaelomaday.com, worldpoetrymagazine.com, and worldpoetryopenmic.com. Until next time, remember to be yourself. The world needs your authenticity. Do the hard work and conquer your obstacles creatively. Remember to follow your heart, for it's easy to lose your head in this business of music and poetry.